Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Lightning fans, you found the right show for everything you need to know about your favorite team in the NHL. It's the Lightning Insider Podcast with Eric Erlinson. Get ready for insight, historical perspective, interviews, and breaking news that comes from a reporter insider who's got near 20 years on the Tampa Bay Lightning beat. Now for the latest with the Lightning, here's Eric. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Lightning Insider Podcast. I am Eric Erlinson, your host. Check out my website at lightninginsider.com. And boy, is there a lot to get to today. This is, of course, the post-game recap from Game 5, which was a noon start. So we had a early going in the day, brunch with the Bolts, if you will. And Tampa Bay, of course, comes away with a wild, wacky, crazy, however you want to define it, 5-4 victory over the Columbus Blue Jackets in overtime. Braden Point, once again, the overtime hero for the second time in this series, and he helps push the Tampa Bay Lightning into round two with a 4-1 series victory against the Columbus Blue Jackets. Uh, As always, if you're listening to this podcast, we take questions. So if you ever have a question, easiest way is to find me on Twitter. Use the um, at Eric underscore Erlinson. It's E-R-I-K underscore Erlinson. It's E-R-L. E-N-D-S-S-O-N. That's the easiest way to find me. Use the hashtag AskEE, and I will get to those questions, which we'll do at the end of the show today, and obviously a number of them coming in, coming off of that uh, series victory against Columbus. Um, I have a few things that I want to get to to kind of discuss what we saw today, what we might see moving forward, go over some of the scenarios of what Tampa Bay might be looking for Uh, when it comes to the second round of the playoffs. Uh, The first thing I want to mention about that is, in my mind, it was very key to find a way to get through today with a victory because you were looking at the potential of a Game 6 and Game 7, which would have been Friday and Saturday. Remember, every first-round series had a scheduled back-to-back. The Lightning and Columbus had it on the tail end. They don't have to deal with it. Of course, basically, they played back-to-back games a week ago in Game 1, which, of course, went five overtime, which is the equivalent of two-plus games regardless. Uh, But now the Lightning kind of get to recover from that. They get a few days to kind of, I don't want to say relax, but um, reboot themselves, you know, get your legs back under you a little bit, get your kind of step away from it a little bit from a mental standpoint, and that's something that John Cooper mentioned after the game, to kind of just get away from hockey. Look, playoff hockey is stressful as it is, but normally, and as again, as John Cooper had mentioned, when you win a series in in the playoffs, you get to celebrate in some way. It's, It's not champagne like we see in baseball after every playoff series victory or even wild card game victories. But, you know, you you get to share that moment with family, with, you know, teammates, with friends, whoever it is. You go out, you have a nice dinner, you celebrate, you enjoy. Don't have that here. 
Remember, they're in a very controlled environment up in Toronto. The hotel, they, they're not really allowed to leave the hotel. There's some areas that they can go to that are not the hotel. You know, if you've, I'm sure you've seen the videos of them outside at BMO Field or uh, the ones that they had yesterday. They were kind of tossing the baseball around or, or whatever. That was, you know, a, a different open area that they could go to. And there's different restaurants that they can go to that are within this secured zone. But it's a little different. So getting a mental break, I think, is going to be key and, and, and to be able to win this series, to become the second team to be able to advance to round two uh, is going to give them a little bit of time to kind of get that feel back uh, and get ready for whoever their second round opponent is going to be. All right, so here's some of the things that I want to get to. Uh, first of all, uh, let's talk about today's game and how things went because as I mentioned it was one of the crazier playoff games you're going to see and I don't know what it is with two goal leads uh it's it's the worst lead in hockey it's the worst league in hockey I, I mean we we've seen you know uh, teams come back from it all the time and I'm all for that I actually like the idea that you can come back you know you go back to 2004 when the Lightning won the Stanley Cup if you scored the first goal in a game there probably wasn't going to be a lead change anywhere. Occasionally you would have it. If you got a two-goal lead, forget it. Game's over. Much different game nowadays. I think it allows for some of the offense coming to the fold. So the Lightning get the two-goal lead. I, you could not really have scripted much of a better start in this game. Um, you know, an elimination game, an elimination opportunity to knock out a team, and, and you figured with all of the hockey that the Columbus Blue Jackets have played, that if you got a lead on them, you might kind of take them out of it mentally. Now, the one thing we have learned about this Columbus team is they don't wilt. They don't fold. They push. Uh, they they just come at you. They're not going to quit, and we saw that in this game because Tampa Bay did get the two-goal lead, and they did it fast. You got a goal from Tyler Johnson. You got a goal from Blake Coleman just over a minute apart, and you thought, okay, that's it. Game over. Well, this Columbus team doesn't like that. They don't play that way. They don't they have a head coach that won't allow them to play that way. And just as we saw earlier in the series and in game two, when the Lightning got the goal early in the first period, they got the lead that maybe they got too comfortable. And I think that's part of what we saw today. I think that the Lightning thought that this was going to be an easy situation that they were going to be able to just kind of walk away with this game and you build a two-goal lead, and then they just stopped. They just stopped moving their feet. They stopped moving their legs. So you get the great start. You get the two-goal lead, and you think it's, okay, we've got it. Our work is done. Let's just close it out. And if 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 you look at the way the Lightning have played protecting leads in the previous two games, specifically in Game 3, when they had a one-goal lead in the third period when Columbus brought it to within a goal late or early in the third. They just dominated the third period. They defended so well. And I thought maybe that was going to happen to them today, that they'd be able to get that two-goal lead and then try and play it out because they've been playing good defense. As Chief would say, not so fast, Kowalski. Because the second period 
was about as abysmal of a period that I've seen this team play, certainly in the John Cooper era. And there's been some some games where they haven't played well. There's been some playoff games where maybe they didn't play well. I think back to game six against the Rangers in the 2015 conference final where the game really got away from them. They end up getting blown out by the Rangers, have to go to Madison Square Garden to play a game seven. But you are not going to see this very often. The second period shot attempts were 42 to 10 in favor of Columbus. I mean, that's just as much as we've talked about some of the domination the Lightning have had at points in this series, especially when it comes to shot attempts and puck possession and all that that come with it. 42 to 10. The puck was literally in the Lightning zone for almost the entire period. They had no pushback whatsoever. They had no opportunity to to change the, the, the tide, to change the momentum, to kind of get things going back in your favor. And Columbus was rewarded with it. You could kind of, you could sense it coming. It, it, it started from the drop of the puck in the second period. And the reward was going to come for Columbus. You just knew it was. And they get it on a power play. At the 9.35 mark, Kevin Stenland gets a rebound, and there were a lot of rebounds. There were a lot of them. This is what I'm talking about. They kind of stopped skating. There are too many rebound opportunities in front of Andre Vasilevsky without anybody taking either the puck or the man. You got to take one, but you can't leave them both unoccupied. You can't leave them both there for something to happen, and it did. And Kevin Stenland gets the... The rebound, and the same thing happened on the go-ahead goal late in the period. There's only 16 seconds left when now Nikita Kucherov did a number on Nick Felino in front of the crease. Probably should have been a penalty. He cross-checked him basically to the chin. That's a topic a little bit further down here. But he so he took the man, but everybody else just kind of stopped watching. And the puck squirts free out to Alex Wenberg. And he has an open look from between the circles. Nobody marking him. And everybody forgot where the puck was. Forgot that there was play still going on. Columbus has lead, and deservedly so. I mean, that is a situation where a team absolutely deserved to have the lead going into the third period because it was just complete and total domination. And having said that, it's still a one-goal game going into period three. So the Lightning, it's a one-shot game. Talk about that a lot. It's still just a one-shot game at that point. The only question was, was the Lightning going to be able to recover themselves from that abysmal second-period performance? Were they going to be able to come out and kind of right the ship a little bit? And you felt that they had it in them, that they could, and it certainly never helps. Again, this is a topic a little bit further down uh, in the show. But it never helps that you're going to take uh, Pat Maroon took a penalty literally at the end of the second period that put Columbus on a power play. So you, you have to kill a penalty right away. So it's, it's hard to find the mojo. It's, ha- it's hard to find that. They, they did kill it off. And then you get into the middle part of the third period and you're starting to see Tampa Bay have some pushback. You're starting to feel like, okay, they, they kind of have it. They kind of got it moving. They kind of got it going. And then you have a turnover in your own zone. 
and it leads to Oliver Bjorkstand giving Columbus a 4-2 lead. And at that point, I saw it in my mentions. This is it. Lost this game. Probably going to lose the series. You know, the typical doomsday stuff that you tend to get in situations like this. But after the game, Kevin Shattenkirk, it came out that he was somebody who gave a little bit of an impassioned speech between the second and the third period. Now, he was not here last year. He was not part of the Lightning last year. He didn't feel the sting of what happened to this team after the regular season they had, and then they get swept in the first round by Columbus. But he's a veteran. He's been around. He kind of... I don't know the words he used. I don't know what he said, but he did have words with his team to keep it positive. And if you've ever interacted with Kevin Shattenkirk in any way, he's a pretty upbeat guy. He's a pretty positive guy. So it's no surprise that he might be one of those guys to step up. And, you know, you think of the the, the headmans and even a Pat Maroon who's come in and taken on a leadership role in this team and a Ryan McDonough and all those. But it was it was Shattenkirk that stepped up and did it. And you never know how these things are going to go. You don't know how they're going to turn around. Well, it was it was a, a Shattenkirk mistake that led to that fourth Columbus goal, right? Because he's trying to make himself an outlet, jumps up the ice a little too quick, turnover, Bjorkstrand is alone. It's a 4-2 game. So I thought it was very fitting that it's Shattenkirk that scores the goal that makes it 4-3. And there's still 7.59 left on the clock when he scores. And you're thinking, okay, maybe there's a chance. Is that is that going to be the false hope goal? Or is that going to be the spark goal? Which is it going to be? And you could see after that, the push was there. Columbus was now the team trying to defend. And they're in a bit of a, a different situation. But they're trying to defend. All I have to do is just close the game out. You're seven minutes away from forcing a game six. But the Lightning kept pushing. They had it. And sometimes you need a little luck to make these things happen. And this was, I don't want to call it pure luck, because it wasn't pure luck. But if you look at the way this goal was scored, it's, the, it's, with a, it's an extra attacker goal. So you've got a minute and 38 left on the clock when this happens, but Braden Point is just off to the side of the net, and he just, you know what, he just throws a puck because he knows that Anthony Sorelli is in the crease somewhere. So he puts a puck hoping to find a stick, but Sorelli's stick is tied up. He can't get his stick to the puck, so he kind of turns his skate and and directs it in. It's not a kick. It wasn't even close to a kick. It was never going to be in danger of being overturned. But he deflects it just enough. And because his stick is tied up by the Columbus defender, and forgive me, I don't know who it was off the top of my head, he, it's a slow trickle across the line, like agonizingly slow trickle across the line. So ties the game and... Now you're thinking, okay, they are not going to be denied. And in fact, Andre Pallott almost won it in regulation. In the final minute, he put a puck off the rush that went through Jonas Corposalo and trickled just wide of the post as it went through the blue paint. And, and John Cooper even referenced that, that he felt at that point, okay, we, we have them. 
We have them now. They're a little shaky. And again, you don't know how these things are going to go, but that was the feeling. So much different feeling going into intermission before the first overtime than it was going into the third period. All of a sudden now you have life. You have a good feeling about yourself. Um, And I'd be remiss if I don't go back to the Columbus fourth goal, which the Lightning Challenge for goalie interference. Now, I didn't think it was a worthwhile challenge. I thought the one actually in game four was more of a goalie interference than this one was. But it's a desperate time of the game. There was definitely some contact made with Vasilevsky in that situation. The the skate and skate kind of touched a little bit. I, I didn't think there was any chance it was going to be overturned, but they did it anyway. Remember, he'd already used his timeout earlier in the game, so he didn't have a timeout to try and settle things down. So in some ways, that's a a way to get a timeout. But now they had to kill off a penalty. penalty. You get a delay game call if you challenge and don't get it overturned. So it was a risky challenge. I thought it was a, a wasted challenge. But it actually gave them some life. And you can do that. You can get momentum off a penalty kill. And look, Columbus is not necessarily trying to score there. They're not going to force plays to try and score. But the Lightning were able to kill it off, and they gained some momentum, and that's kind of where things went after that because that penalty would have expired at the 11.33 mark, and it was 28 seconds later that Kevin Shattenkirk made it 4-3. And then you get to overtime, and it's complete. It's all Tampa Bay in overtime. It's all Tampa Bay. They they are in on the four check. They're creating turnovers, and it was a turnover that led to the game-winning goal as David Savara tried to go back across the ice behind his own net to find his teammate, uh, Gavrikov. And instead, of, it, it was in an awkward spot for Gavrikov. He tried to get it with his skate. The puck bounces off a skate, goes right to Nikita Kucherov, right to Braden Point, who's all alone in front of the net for a quick move and up to the backhand to win the game. And that's the second wide-open chance in front of the net Tampa Bay had because Yanni Gord had had uh, an opportunity down low all by himself just before that. So it was all Tampa Bay. Braden Point ends up as a hero. So, you know, it mentioned that the shot attempts were so uh, such a disparity in the shot attempts so through two periods, it was 64 to 25 in shot attempts in favor of Columbus. But in the overtime and the third period, the Lightning turned it around. It was actually 24 to 11 in the third period in overtime. It was 9-1 in the overtime. So Columbus only had the one shot attempt. It was a shot on goal that they had in the overtime. And here we are with Braden Point again. That's the second goal Braden Point had scored in overtime in this game or in this series. And that's why I'm saying right now, uh, Braden Point is the new Marty St. Louis. Marty St. Louis in 2003 scored the triple overtime winner to knock off the Capitals in game six and advance them out of the first round for the first time in franchise history. So one of the most famous goals in franchise history. Clinched the series. Of course, Marty did it again in 2004. His overtime winner in the first round against the Islanders clinched that series in five games. 
Of course, Point's goal was in the fifth overtime to game one. And of course, we know that Marty went on to score the double overtime goal against the Calgary Flames in game six, but that's a different story. But Marty St. Louis twice, twice in his time with the Lightning, scored overtime series clinching goals. Twice. Braden Point joined him today. Only two players to score overtime series clinching goals. That's some pretty special company to be in. That's and I and I think it's it's a fair comparison in some ways. They're not the same type of players, but I think they have the same type of impact on a game. They just find ways to impact the game, usually in a positive way. Saying that we, of course, the big goal scorer, former MVP, two-time scoring champion, impacted the game in a lot of ways that way. We know Braden Point can score. He's more of a well-rounded player than St. Louis, but there are some players that just have that innate ability to be in the key moments of a franchise in key times of a game, and they just find a way to make an impact. And I think Braden Point is that guy. I don't know where the rest of this playoffs is going to go. Obviously, Braden Point didn't have a huge impact in last year's playoffs. You know, in he had a he had a big impact in 2018 when they made it all the way to the conference final. No overtime games, but you know, you think of the growth that Braden Point has had since that time. And I, I'm gonna I'm gonna call it right now. He is the new Marty Saint Louis. And if you're looking for Omens, I guess, if you want to call it that. Well, it was 2004 that Marty St. Louis scored the overtime series-clinching victory against the Islanders in the fifth game, facing a back-to-back coming up. Game six of that series would have been a, a game in New York the next night. I remember having to cancel flights at the last minute. We were scheduled to leave for New York the next morning. Scott Carter was with me at that time, Marty uh, Martin Fenley. Uh, would have been traveling with us as well. Uh, So we're all scrambling to get those flights canceled. Braden Point scores the overtime winner today. Game five, opening round. Series clincher. Back-to-back was coming up. Potential back-to-back, six and seven. So say with that, if you will, I I think that that Braden Point is the new Marty St. Louis when it comes to those type of goals. Now, in the big picture, all this is is a series victory for Tampa Bay. They do move on to the second round. But in the micro of it, if you will, and it's a major storyline. It was a major storyline coming in. We don't need to rehash what happened last year in the sweep against Columbus. You're never going to get the players to admit this going into a series, and you probably wouldn't get them to admit it afterwards. It's somewhere down the line that it'll come out. You just get the sense that they wanted this opportunity to face the Columbus Blue Jackets. And again, nobody would say that, right? But listen to John Cooper after the postgame today. First of all, look at the way he left the ice, the handshake line. I've had a lot of people question, how can they shake their hands? We're in the middle of a pandemic. We are still in the middle of a pandemic. But everybody in that bubble coronavirus-free for more than two weeks now. They're all in the same environment. They're protected. So we get back to the handshakes as opposed to the fist pumps that we got in the qualification round. But if you look at John Cooper after he made his way through the handshake line, 
the little fist pump he gave as he's walking off the ice. And the first question he, he was asked was about what happened last year. And again, he's not going to come right out and say it. And, you know, on this side of the ledger, from the media side, when we ask questions sometimes, even if we know what the answer is going to be, we ask the question anyway. And then you kind of look for body language or the way they answer the question. You know, that's why I always say it's not always the answer you're, you're looking for or you're going you're gonna to get the answer you know. But how do they answer the question that you know? And when he said it's only been 422 days, but who's counting? When he was talking about from the moment they got uh, lost that game for to Columbus last year to today. That tells you, I think, all you need to know about how they felt, what this series was going to mean to them if they could win it. So to, to win it in five games, I think, is retribution. It, it's something that I talked about many times on the Power Play show. That the only way for them to find retribution, if you will, to atone for what happened last year was to get to April. It happened to be August because of the pandemic, but it was to get to the playoffs and overcome it. This is the first step. They've exercised their demons, I think, in a big way with this game today. The latest news and insight with the Lightning is found here on the Lightning Insider Podcast. Here again is Eric Erlinson. I don't know what that's going to mean for the next round, or if there's a round after that, or what's going to happen, how long they're going to remain alive. But this meant a lot to them. And Keith Jones from NBC brought this up before the playoffs, the actual playoffs started, that in 2010, if you remember, the Philadelphia Flyers overcame a 3-0 series deficit to the Boston Bruins. Philly goes on to reach the Stanley Cup final that year. But they're, I think this, they were the third team. I think they were the third team at the time to overcome a 3-0 series deficit to come back and win a series 4-3. They're actually down 3 nothing in Game 7 as well and came back and won that game against the Bruins. The Bruins wanted the Flyers the next year. Knocked off the Flyers. Obviously, they go on to win the Stanley Cup that year, beating the Lightning in the conference final. And he, he drew that analogy to what the Lightning were kind of thinking from a player's perspective, going into this series. Yeah, you want to beat the team that knocked you out last year. In a lot of ways, you want to beat the team that embarrassed you last year. And it was an embarrassment to lose four straight playoff games when you finished the regular season with an NHL record tying 62 wins. So again, they're not going to say it. But it meant a lot to them. And maybe somewhere down the line, we'll get somebody to talk about that or, or hear from somebody to talk about that. Um, but I, I think it meant a lot. All right, this, this is one of the, I know there's a couple of fan questions, and I'm just going to address this before this comes out. Because the NHL has an officiating problem. They have an officiating problem, and that's not exactly breaking news. But with each of these games available on TV to just a single viewership, you're able to watch just about every game. There's some overlap. 
There's been a couple of games that I have not been able to watch. But for the most part, you've seen a lot of them. And it relates to this series because the power play disparity turned out to be 19 to 10 in favor of Columbus. And I know Columbus, I think, had the fewest or second fewest penalties called on them during the regular season. That's fine. The problem is we, we talked about the Felino hit and the Dubois hit in uh, earlier in the series. The Felino hit wasn't even a penalty, wasn't even called a penalty, should have been suspended, wasn't suspended. You see so much, even today, you know, Luke Dubois, Pierre-Luc Dubois, cross-checks Nikita Kucherov and shoves him into the boards. There's no call. And it's easy to sit here and say, well, you cover the lightning, so you're just a homer seeing it from one, one way. If anybody knows me, has followed me for years, listened to me the last several years in formats like this, I'm not a homer. I will give it to you how I feel, regardless of the team that I cover. But when you started to see national writers pick this up, I think the one I saw that Pierre-Luc Dubois was one more uncalled cross-check away from a free smoothie kind of gives you an idea of what's going on. So I, I saw a couple of those from national writers today. And then I'm watching the Boston-Carolina series. And Boston gets uncalled for a slash that broke a Carolina player's stick. They get a breakaway out of the play. They don't score on it but they get a power play and then they score on that that ties the game. And then later in that same period, Sebastian Ajo is hooked. It goes uncalled and Boston scores a power play goal right after the non-call. So like it's, it's these non-calls. If you're going to call it one way, call it the same way. It has to be fair. It has to be unbalanced. And today, the Lightning again for the second time. So they've played eight games now in this return to play. For the second time in eight games, they did not have a power play chance. Did not have a power play chance. I, I don't know how you get that occasionally, but usually, like 2011, game seven against the Bruins, neither team had a power play. Okay, fine. You let them get away with everything in that game. Columbus had five power plays today. Now, here's the thing. I don't think that the penalties that were called against the Lightning were unwarranted. They're penalties. They are penalties under the letter of the law. The problem is, it's not being officiated the same way for both teams. Believe me, there were plenty of interference calls that went uncalled on Columbus. We talked about the boarding calls, the, the hard calls, if you will. There's a, the soft calls or the, the, some of those hookings that are called. And they're, they're, are, they're penalties. They are penalties. But it's, it's become very noticeable of what's going on with some of the officiating in the NHL. And again, national writers picking up on this because Mike Russo, who has covered the league as long as I have, he started down in Fort Lauderdale and has since gone to Minneapolis, and now he's one of the more prominent uh, writers around the NHL, had this to say about the mentioned uh, Ajo uh, play that led to a, it was a go-ahead goal for Boston. 
Russo says, all that happens because the refs don't call the world's most obvious hook on Krejci on Ajo in the offensive zone before the Martinook penalty. So again, again, something that's not called allows another team to have a power play themselves just after that. And of course, of course the Bruins, they, the Bruins scored on both those power plays that probably shouldn't have happened. It should have been Carolina on the power play. And that's the officiating problem. It really is. So uh, what? how do you solve it? I, I don't know. I've been asked this question before. When the officials, what, what accountability is it with the uh, officials? They do, they do review every game. They do review every game. They go over it with supervisors, but they're not made, they're not made accountable when it comes to uh, speaking to anybody about it. They don't have to speak to the media about it. They're, they're held. They're really protected by the NHL. And look, it's easy to blame officials. It is easy to blame officials. But it's, it's just become so obvious of a problem that it needs to be fixed because the Bruins end up winning that game against Carolina by a score of 2-1 to one with both the goals coming on power plays that probably shouldn't have happened, and that's a problem. Who knows? Maybe Rob Brindamore will be handed another $25,000 fine. And that's the other thing. Coaches will not, hardly ever, complain about the officiating because there are ramifications if you complain about it. So here's the, here's the scenarios with the Lightning when it comes to the second round. Um, Carolina's eliminated, so they can't face the Hurricanes. They cannot face the Philadelphia Flyers. I'm actually recording this before the Philly-Montreal game is done. But here's the scenarios involving Tampa Bay. They can't face the Islanders are up 3-1. They cannot face the Islanders if they end up winning Washington. So you are now down to three teams that the Lightning can play. Montreal somehow comes back and knocks off the Flyers. They would face Montreal in round two. If Washington comes back and knocks off the Islanders, they would face Washington in round two. If Philadelphia wins, they would face the Boston Bruins now in round two. And wouldn't that be interesting? Especially with the conversation we just had about the officiating. All right, let's get to questions and wrap this show up. Uh, Again, I appreciate everybody tuning in and listening. Um, Such great news that already. Uh, a top 10 ranked hockey podcast on Apple iTunes. Uh, So I can't thank you enough. Make sure you subscribe to it. Hit those five-star reviews. uh, Share it with your friends. Let them know it's out there. Um, Been a little tough going here lately without the radio gig around anymore. So this is a way I'm I'm hoping to kind of capitalize on this. And and hopefully you guys enjoy it. So far, it seems like you have. So uh, uh, we'll keep going with this. And and hopefully you can kind of go somewhere that we can get back to you know, some sort of daily presence or something like that. We are going to expand it. This break here between the first and second round, I think will give us a little bit of a chance to kind of expand uh, something uh, a little bit more as we get closer to round two. Uh, but again, we'll we'll see what that stuff uh, turns out to be. But let's get to the questions that uh, you guys did send in to me. Uh, there are a couple that are about officiating, so... Uh, we'll see what I can handle with those. Uh, from Jason Woods, do you expect the same treatment from officiating to persist through the next round? Uh, 
Um, I, I would hope not. I would hope that the uh, the Lightning, Julian Breesbaugh and his staff can put together some of these clips and say, hey, look, this wasn't called, this wasn't called, this wasn't called. But here's the problem with this. You have the same officials in the bubble. You can't rotate officials around. Maybe one or two will be graded out. I don't know. I know. I think Kevin Pollock left because he took a puck to the face and fractured his jaw. So they're short one official as it is already. Not as many games to have to worry about. You'll have a game a day now as opposed to two or three a day in the in the second round. But it's it's basically going to be the same crew. It's going to be the same officiating crew in some capacity. So, again, you would hope that the Lightning would not complain about it, but just point stuff out, right? Like you just want to point stuff out. Hey, you might want to take a look at this. Uh, that that I think will definitely definitely happen. Uh, so will it be um, continuation? <laughs> I guess only time will tell. Uh, from Sharon, any word on the process for finding a new TV TV play by play announcer? I refuse to say Rick's replacement because he's the greatest of all time and can't be replaced. Uh, you are correct about that, Sharon. Um, no word on it yet. Uh, they keep these things very close to the vest. Uh, Back when Brian Engblom was hired, didn't really catch wind of who was going to replace Chief as the um, booth analyst. I would expect the same here. I know Rick doesn't know anything about it. They they leave those guys out of it. They don't want to have any influence over it. Um, you know, I look. John Forsland is a free agent, so to speak. You know, he was not brought brought back by the Carolina Hurricanes. So is that a possibility? I think it is. Uh, I've heard from some other people who were, who were. Uh, in it, uh, put their name in the hat or had an interview, whatever, that had been told no, um, but I don't know where it's going to be uh, or who it's going to be. So, uh, From Mark, if uh, if it's Boston, if they win, right, question mark. Uh, anyways, what do you feel happened after the 2 nothing lead? Did they get confident again? Uh, I Well, I just went over the scenarios of who they could play in the second round. Um, yeah, I, I think that they kind of it, it got too easy for them after it was 2 nothing. And you would have thought that, especially facing Columbus after what happened last year, they wouldn't get comfortable, especially after what happened in Game 2 when they looked a little comfortable. And and John Cooper even kind of used that word. I, I think that they did think it was going to be an easy, easy, easy afternoon. <laughs> I almost said night. Uh, easy afternoon. Uh, from Platitude. Uh, what are your thoughts on how the Bolts can honor Rick's career? I was thinking a banner or dedicating the booth press box to him. Uh, well, the press box itself is already dedicated to Tom McEwen, the former Tampa Tribune editor, sports editor. Uh, so that is already spoken for. Um, look, there'll be some sort of a capacity, a banner. Could they put a banner up? They They could. You know, 23 years. I think it was 23 or 24 years. Uh, Rick Peckham was the voice that brought lightning games to your home. Um, so there are ways that they could do it. But believe me, if if you know anything about the lighting, especially since Jeff Vinnick took over as owner, they do things the right way. And I promise you, Rick Peckham will be treated with the utmost class in some sort of that. Um, from Chris Wright, do you get tired of my complaints about the refs because the refs hate us? Um <laughs> Look, the refs don't hate the Lightning. Maybe Eric Furlat does. Did I say that out loud? I think I said that out loud. Um, 
look, Furlat was also the referee in the Washington game to start the round robin where the Lightning got zero power play opportunities. He was the official today when they got zero power play opportunities. So, uh, you know, I'm never usually one to buy into that. But, boy, when you start to see stuff like that, uh, it's sort of the same thing with um, Francis Chiron. Of course, Chiron was the goalie in 2014 that waved off a Ryan Callahan goal. That would have given Tampa Bay the lead or tied it, I think, at that time. It was a very long, delayed goalie interference, quote-unquote. If you remember, Alex Kalorn was pushed into the net, tried to get up. P.K. Subban shoved him back down. He couldn't get out. Goal was scored. They overturned it, and this is now why you have essentially a goalie interference challenge. Part of it. Didn't happen right away, but part of it. Uh, So I don't think the rest hate, but boy, it does sure seem like some of them have uh, bias. Uh, from Lee, what does this team have to do to eliminate the mental sags during games? Remember, we mentioned this on one of your podcasts. Also, what can they do to maybe draw more penalties other than keep moving their feet? Uh, I don't know what they can do to draw the penalties because, I mean, look, Columbus is a disciplined team. Uh, they John Tortorella doesn't tolerate some of the stick penalties, so they don't necessarily put themselves in the in the position to have those called. But they've had boarding calls that went uncalled, and I just I don't understand that. I don't understand how you can continue to just um, overlook those type of penalties. Uh, as far as the mental sags, um, you know, sometimes you just can't get the game back. Sometimes it just gets away from you. Uh, It's a fast-moving game. Sometimes you even recognize it on the bench and you try and get it back, but, you know, you are playing uh, uh, against another team. You know, you saw them get it back. You saw them get it back in the third period. Why couldn't that happen in the second? Uh, It's Sometimes it's the game. Sometimes the game just takes on its own life, its own momentum, uh, and it's hard to get back. Uh, There's no doubt I think they need to be mentally tougher with those situations. but we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll, we'll see. They, they, can't, they can't afford too many of those situations if you think you're going to go on and, and win a Stanley Cup. Uh, from Pat, if Stamkos comes back, how do you think the lines shake out? Do you put him with Sorelli? Then what happens with Johnson? It's a good problem to have. Uh, I think the easiest scenario might be to... First of all, who do you take out? Do you take out Pocket or Stevens? Stevens has already been taken out of the lineup once with Carter Verhage. Um So it, first of all, you have to decide there, and then you decide who goes where. Because I think Stamkos goes onto a line with Sorelli and probably Kalorn, or you could put him on a line with Sorelli and Johnson. And then maybe move Kalorn down to the line with Coleman and Gord and move Goodrow to the fourth line. That sort of makes the most sense to me, but (laughs) I don't know how you consider breaking apart the Barclay, Goodrow, Yanni Gord, Blake Coleman line because they were very good again today. They were really about the only line that was really going consistently in this game when you kind of break it down because that trio had a 18 to 11 shot attempt advantage. So that's 62% uh, of the shot attempts that they have. 
and you look at the other lines, Braden Point's line was 14-13, so they were just over 50%. Uh, the Pawcat Stevens Maroon line was 4-8, to eight, so they're at 30%. And Sorelli, Kalorn, Johnson, even though they scored the goal, were at 40% in terms of 5-on-5 five five possession. So I don't know how you break up Goodrow, Gord, and Coleman. And Coleman had the goal today. I, I, I just hard for me to see a scenario where you break up that line. But that's a problem. That's a good problem to have if you're the coaching staff. Um, so we'll see uh, what happens when Steven Stamkos is ready to come back. And I know that question is asked a lot. This buys time about Steven Stamkos, whether or not he can come back. Um, but I can tell you this. He is working his tail off to get back and, and wants to play. Uh, I I do anticipate that there's a good chance we'll see him uh, hopefully uh, by the time this next series starts, but we'll have to see how it shakes out. Uh, from Stephanie, what lessons do you think the team took from last year's loss to make them successful this year? I think there's a couple of things. I, I think they understand how they have to be uh, harder to play against. They do have to be harder to play against. I think they are harder to play against, uh, and that has a lot of definitions to it. But to me, it's the Goodrow line the Gord Coleman Goodrow line define that because they're hard to play against because they're always in your face. They're always forechecking. They're always working hard. That's hard to play against. Um, I think they know that they can't take anything for granted, especially now that some of these players are getting a little bit older. Uh, they've had successes, but not the ultimate success. We know the salary cap is coming up. I think that they all understand what's in front of them in terms of the window, the window of opportunity. Uh, because there's a good chance the team is going to be broken up. And, you know, going back to the John Cooper line, well, it was 422 days ago, but who's counting? Uh, I, I think that they were humbled. They were humbled big time. And I think that they understand now uh, a little bit better what it has to take. You know, you took care of a good Columbus team that works hard, but not a whole lot of high-end skill on that team. Whoever they play next, unless it ends up being Montreal somehow, uh, is going to have some high-end skill. You can't afford to, uh, to have too many lapses. Uh, last one from, love this name, Lighten Up Francis. Uh, the handle is Florida Penalty Box. Uh, why take Carter Verhage out of the lineup when he clearly provided such a big spark in the game he played? Uh, he did play the two games. He played games three and four. Uh, I don't wonder if this was as much about matchup situations because uh, Stevens played games one and two where Tampa Bay had the quote-unquote home ice, and then he comes back in for today's game five where they're able to pick the matchups. Um, you know, look, Mitchell Stevens, he's done a lot of good things here since the team has returned. He made the one mistake in game two on the penalty kill. You know, he lost the faceoff and then was out of position and, and, and didn't cover the right guy on the penalty kill. Ended up being the game-winning goal in that game. So Verhage did provide a spark, but this is I, I think that this is the depth you have. I don't think Carter Verhage did anything wrong to get taken out of the lineup, but I think they felt that, especially after the face-off performance they had in Game 4, remember they were 0 for 11 in the first period, and that's something I talked about on the last podcast, about something they needed to be better at. They were today, still finished under 50%, but it was only at 47%. And Stevens goes two for five. So an improvement, not a vast improvement, but an improvement. 
Um, Gord was six for six. Sorelli was four for 12. Point was five for 10. Tyler Johnson had the best day. He was four for five. You know, so that's an area that needed to improve, and maybe they just felt that they needed to get somebody else in there that could take face-offs in the right dot. You know, they like to have the right-handed guys take those face-offs. Uh, without Steven Stamkos, that takes one guy away. Mitchell Stevens is a right-handed shot. All right, well, that is going to wrap up Episode 5 here of the Lighting Insider Podcast. As always, I appreciate everybody listening to this, subscribing to it, downloading it. Five-star reviews on on iTunes help a tremendous amount if you can do that. Uh, I would really appreciate it. Uh, I want to sign off with a couple of words about Rick Peckham. We had mentioned it there in the questions. Um, Today was his last game that he called for Tampa Bay, the second round of the postseason will be exclusive to NBC, so there's no more regional broadcasts. But I can't think of a better way for the final game of Rick Peckham's broadcasting career as the voice of the Tampa Bay Lightning than to go out calling an overtime series-clinching game. It's just poetic to me. And I've had the pleasure to get to know Rick Peckham through the years during my time with the Tribune being able to travel around with the team and, you know, enjoy some dinners with Rick along the way. Um, Famous Joe's in San Jose is one of his best spots that he likes to go to. So we always went to uh, Famous Joe's in San Jose when the team was out there. Learned so much from him. Just a pleasure to be in his company. Everything you see on TV is accurate about him. He is as nice of a person as he is out of the booth, uh, as he is in the booth. Taught me a lot, having a, the, the chance to kind of pick his brain. He was obviously a frequent guest of mine on Lightning Lunch the past couple of years. I can't thank him enough of his time for his time, uh, but what a pleasure and what a treat it has been for Lightning fans to have Rick Peckham call the games for them for the past 20-plus years. I don't know who's going to be next. Huge, huge shoes to fill, um, but... Congratulations to Rick Peckham, who was named the Foster Hewitt Award winner, which means he is going into the Hockey Hall of Fame. So if you make your way up to Toronto after this whole pandemic crap is gone, make sure that by the time Rick gets inducted, which is normally in November, we'll see when it actually is going to take place under these uh, circumstances. Uh, But he will be in the Hall of Fame in Toronto as a Foster Hewitt Award winner. So congratulations to Rick Peckham. All right, thanks everybody as always for listening. I really appreciate it. Go to my website, lightninginsider.com if you want to get some more insight into what it is. Sign up. It's $40 a year. It's $4.99 a month, uh, whichever is a more convenient package for you. Thank you as always for your support. Uh, We'll have some sort of a preview podcast or something uh, here in the coming days. Uh, So be on the lookout for that. Again, check my Twitter feed at Eric underscore Erlinson, E-R-I-K underscore E-R-L-E-N-D-S-S-O-N. I also have a Facebook page. Go to facebook.com slash Lightning Insider. Um, and, of course, if you want to email me, it's Eric at Lightning Insider. All right, we'll be back to tee up round two in the coming days. As always, thanks for listening. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. 
Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.